Hello, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton, radio, and thank you very much for tuning in, taking part, and sitting back to listen to us uh, talk about what is a, uh, I mean, let's face it, this is a disastrous situation that, uh, I mean, my, my, my head is still spinning. I, I cannot believe what I saw on Sunday. Absolutely unbelievable. But uh, <clears throat> let's start off, kick things off here with uh, thanking our sponsor, linebacker.com. And for a lot of guys, that means the start of their annual donation season to their local bookie or sports book, but it doesn't have to be that way. Linebacker produces winning sports predictions based on thousands of game simulations. Easy to use, customized betting profiles tell you which team to back and how much to bet. Jet Nation listeners will get a 25% discount on their first linebacker purchase when they use the promo code JETNATION, J-E-T-N-A-T-I-O-N, at the, the linebacker, thelinebacker.com. Sign up today for a free trial and get some winning picks and make yourself some money. So that. Now, on to the New York Jets. The the disaster that is the New York Jets. They go down to Miami. Todd Bowles' Jets go down to Miami. They lose by a final score of 13-6. 13-6. The lone touchdown on the game came on a Jerome Baker 25-yard interception return with just under 11 minutes to go in the game. On a uh, on a battle that was off of a Spencer Long wild snap, if you could believe it, and we we have to get right into that. Normally we would start with, you know, outstanding performers. We'd break down, you know, scoring drives, how teams got their points. But listen, the only thing that matters right now, in regards to what happened this Sunday, and how it affects the future of this team, is Spencer Long at center and Todd Bowles' handling of Spencer Long at center. And you've heard me say this before. I said it about Jalen Marshall, for those of you who remember, when Jalen Marshall was being used as a punt returner by Todd Bowles, and he botched multiple return attempts, and people were saying, Jalen Marshall's terrible. Why is he back there? This guy sucks. He can't do this. All correct. All 100% correct. But at some point, and personally, agree or disagree, at some point, the blame is no longer on the player. Once the coaches, be it court, you know, the an offensive player, defensive player, the head coach, I'm I'm assuming, the head coach is watching the game. And he can see with his own two eyes that he's got a player out there. In this case, it was Spencer Long, who, for one reason or another, and from what we're being told, Spencer Long has a dislocated finger on his snapping hand. That being the reason, cannot snap the football. He is, at, you know, out of a shotgun formation. Spencer Long is physically incapable of snapping the football. We're watching Sam Darnold jump, dive, leap to try to to try to feel the snap. He can't he can't watch his receivers in the early part of their routes because he's looking up in the air for the ball. Todd Bowles was fine with that. We were good. That's what he said after the game. We were doing fine. Eventually pulled Spencer Long because he re-injured the hand. Are you going to tell me it wasn't injured before that? You're going to tell me Spencer Long, an NFL center, does not know how to snap a football in a shotgun formation? I, I was curious. I got curious. Some of you may have seen I tweeted this earlier. I went back and I just picked a couple of couple of Redskins games at random from last year. Watched every single snap 
on offense for the Redskins and counted how many times was asked to snap out of the shotgun. And I wrote down how many times those snaps were off target. How many times was Kirk Cousins having to get off his spot before the play even started to feel the ball? How many times was the ball snapped at his feet? How many times was the ball snapped over his head? How many times was it just a wild snap? Uh, as I said in the tweet, like like watching Chuck Knobloch make a throw to first base. How many times was he before it started? So in those two games, Spencer Long snapped the ball, and you may have seen this earlier with the tweet. Spencer Long snapped out of the shotgun in those two games 60 times. 6-0. I believe one, one game they ran 35 plays out of the shotgun, and the other game they ran 25 out of the shotgun, whatever it may be. So of those 60 snaps, how many times did Kirk Cousins have to jump, leap, field the snap? Zero. The snaps were on the money. I think I may have seen three snaps where Kirk Cousins had to slightly move his hands. I'm not talking like jump. I'm talking like from chest level to face mask level to field a perfectly snapped shot on or snap and the shotgun formation. This is not something that a healthy do. This is something that Spencer Long with a dislocated finger cannot do. Pros make it look easy. If you've ever tried to get a full, firm grip on a football and throw or snap it, and imagine trying to do that with one of your fingers being dislocated. And how 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 accurate would you? I mean, we're we're seeing it. I don't even have to sit here and say, imagine what what it would be like. It's like Spencer Long is off target. He, he had he had to have had nine or ten snaps. They were just nowhere near where they needed to be. It's it's absolutely nuts. And for anybody for anybody who's putting this on Spencer Long at this point, look, listen. He's on the field. He's got to perform. Sometimes it's up to the coaches from himself. I said that earlier yesterday. Sometimes it's up to the coach to save the team from the player. He's got to watch what they're doing out there. Spencer Long isn't going to pull himself. We saw the same thing last year with Brian Winters. Brian Winters got absolutely abused week in and week out last year. And I would come on this show every week and say, what the hell is going on? There's no way Brian Winters, for some reason, forgot how to play football. The season comes to an end, and we find out Brian Winters was playing with a torn abdominal muscle, which is why he was getting abused on a weekly basis, and Todd Bowles was fine with that too. Ran him out there 10, 11 weeks in a row. The offense couldn't get any push in the run game. He had Wesley Johnson getting his ass kicked on one side. Brian Winters getting steamrolled on the other with his torn abdominal muscle. Todd Bowles rolled with it for like nine, ten weeks. Now we see Spencer Long. And, I'll, I mean, thank goodness it didn't happen the other day. And I'm even Todd Bowles, even in all his stubbornness, I cannot see him starting Spencer Long this week. He cannot. He cannot. He cannot be – it can't happen. But how lucky is he? How lucky are the Jets? How lucky are the, is the fan base? Because I'm watching these snaps getting fired all over, the, all over the stadium, and I'm just thinking to myself, one of these balls is going to be snapped wildly. Darnold is going to have to chase it down, and some defensive lineman is going to land on him while he's, while he's trying to scoop a fumble, and, he, and he's going to jam his shoulder. We're going to see this kid get a season-ending injury because the head coach won't take a center out of the game who can't put the ball on target out of the shotgun. I've never seen anything like this as a fan. I mean, maybe some of you remember years ago 
when the Jets had a starter guy at center named Colin Baxter. And Colin Baxter was a practice squad guy. He had no business being on an active roster. But the Jets were in a pinch. There were some injuries. They had to start Colin Baxter. And he had to go against Haloti Nada, who just absolutely ate Colin Baxter's lunch. And at some point, the Jets just, they said uncle. Colin Baxter got pulled. And I can't even remember who they, they moved, it was Winters, whoever it was, I don't remember. But somebody else got, somebody else slid over to center. Maybe even back in the Pete Kendall days. Why don't Pete Kendall? I can't even remember. I just know that at some point, the head coach has to look at a guy he's got out there and say, this dude does not belong on the field right now. And for Todd Bowles, if, listen, if you were watching the game, I don't know, but I know I did, and the cameras caught it after what was Spencer Long's, I don't know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, Aaron snap. They cut to the sideline, and they show Buster Screen shaking his head and whisper something to Jonathan Harrison's ear, the backup center who should have been on the field at that point. Screen laughed, Harrison laughed, and they just shook their heads. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. You don't think this hurts Todd Bowles in the locker room? With his, Todd Bowles has a defense that's out there absolutely playing their asses off. They gave up six points, but they lose the game on an interception following another wild snap from the center. They get to run back for a touchdown that may, may as well have been worth 50 points the way the offense was going. And after the game, Todd Bowles just says, yeah, I uh, pulled Spencer Long because he re-injured it. But uh, before he re-injured it, we were, we were fine. We were good. He didn't see any need to make a change. And I listen, I get it. A lot of times with these coaches saying press conferences, it's total smokescreen, hyperbole, just telling the media what they want to hear. But there are times, and this was one of them, where you can't come out and say, we were fine. Everybody watching that game, whether it was whether it was me, which who the hell cares what I say, I get it. Player and Damian Woody, every damn writer on the beat, Manish Mehta, Brian Costello, Rich Samini, every single human being who covers this team and was watching that game is just Firing off tweets. Why is he still in there? Get him out of the game. Spencer Long needs to get off the field right now. No, Todd Bowles was cool with it. He was good. No sense of urgency. What else is new? No need to rectify the situation. No. We'll have Sam Darnold running around out there chasing bad snaps and diving all over the place with Cameron Wake bearing down on him. I'll tell you what. If if Sam Darnold had been hurt in that game, I I don't see how you let Todd Bowles get on the plane. If you're Christopher Johnson, Christopher Johnson was at the game, by the way, on the sidelines, doing a getting getting a, a look up close and personal, and he can't like what he saw. And if I'm Christopher Johnson. And we just drafted this quarterback who I came out and said this getting this kid is going to be the turning point in the history of our franchise. And then my head coach is sending him out there to run around and chase bad snaps all over the field. You got to be kidding me. The only good that could come of this is that that display of incompetence and, and just a lackadaisical approach by Todd Bowles should massively accelerate the the, the day the, the the timeline of him being fired because it's gonna happen and you know as much as I've said so someone called in the other day and I said look I, you know I want Bulls fired but it doesn't have to be in the, during the year if it happens during the year that's fine but if you let him ride out the year that's fine too I'll tell you what Todd Bowles everything in your power to try to get your rookie quarterback killed against the Dolphins and now you're getting ready to go in and face Nathan Peterman and the Buffalo Bills. 
And if you find a way to lose to Nathan Peterman, and I said this last week, but now it's after this, after what just happened in Miami, it's that much more that much more of a concern that this guy is in charge. If you go down there and you lose to Nathan Peterman, and the bye week is coming, I'll tell you, Christopher Johnson does not move on from Todd Bowles after that game if they lose to Nathan Peterman. MetLife Stadium is going to be a miserable place to attend football games for the rest of the year. I mean, it's, I, we're already at the point where it's going to be tons of opposing fans, which is unfortunate. I'm still on the fence. Listen, I'm in the UK. I have my plane ticket purchased to go out there and fly out and watch the game against the Pats after the bye. And then I'm supposed to drive out to Tennessee for the game against the Titans. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm having run my reservations now. I'm thinking about maybe I just eat the money on this ticket because do I because when you're talking the price because I'm, I'm not flying out from England to sit in you know sit in the upper deck. So when you factor in game, when you factor in hotels, when you factor in restaurants, we're, we're talking a couple grand. Do I, do I really want to spend a couple thousand dollars to fly out from England to watch this team? I mean. The Pats are going to blow them. The Pats are going to win that game 35 points. I mean, maybe not. It feels like it right now. What a frustrating, frustrating situation. But anyway, we're, we're going to go. I've been ranting for a while about the Spencer Long, Todd Bowles thing. And uh, let's go to the phones real quick. Caller, you're on the air. What do you got for us? Glenn, how you doing? It's Richard. Hey, Richard, how you doing? <laughs> I don't know, man. I really don't know, man. It's a, it's a terrible season. Once again, you're doing a, a fabulous and fantastic job covering this team as worse as they, they've been playing. Horrible. But, um, I, you know, I I supported Tom Bowl, uh from last year and to this year. Very looking forward to this year. I think he uh, – I think McKagan has given him some – some tools, he's given them a decent, uh, he's got the rookie quarterback, some good receivers, a mediocre uh, line, uh, the defense, a couple of players there. And I, 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 he's just not, there's no progression there at all whatsoever. And they're not improving. They're not getting better. I don't think he's coaching these, these young players and putting, and, and, and know what he has. Both, both him and, and I'm talking about coaches across the board here. That, that's what I'm talking about here, across the board, not just Coach Bowles, but I, I you know, I leave it up to all of them, whatever. I don't think Jeremy, I think I don't think Mr. Bates there is, 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 has a good play call here, um, you know, good game plan or whatever. Not putting, not calling plays to the strength of Donald and the receivers, uh, and and you know, and then Bowles and 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 the coaching staff don't even make adjustments in the. At halftime, you don't see anything. You just don't. I'm sorry, but I just, you know, I just can't. It just can't continue like this. I, I mean, I don't, I don't see both. You know, I think he either finished the year or he's done by the bye. But then again, who are they going to put in there? You know, to finish out the year if he goes this year. So I think you're better off just keeping him there to the end of the year, and then he's done. I, I just, I, I just had enough, man. I just, I'm not very excited. I mean, I'm excited about the, the players that we have. Um, some some young talents are very good good folks, but um, you know we just need a coach or whatever that really knows who he and what he has, and then tries to coach these kids up or whatever and use them to you know the, the way they need to be used. Yeah, well, listen, that's that, you know, that's, that, that's a that's a whole other discussion that I was thinking about having this week, and maybe it'll be something during the bye to break down, but. You know, I talked last week about how Mike McCagnan is. You know, I, I feel like I feel like Todd Bowles has to go after this year, um, but Mike McCagnan can't be far behind. I think you give McCagnan more reasons. Uh, number one, the the drafts have been improving. Uh, you know, fans don't want to acknowledge that. Well, people who don't like McCagnan don't want to acknowledge it. But here's the fact: um, his first draft disaster. Leonard Williams. That's it. Got one player. He can't get one player in a draft. 
the following draft, you got you got Jordan Jenkins, you got Brandon Shell, you got Lachlan Edwards, you got Darren Lee. All you know, all four of those guys are you know even if you want to leave off Black, because people don't like hearing about special teams, everyone complains about it. And then when you have one, nobody wants it, nobody cares. But let's even even just sticking with Shell, Lee, and Jenkins. Those are three really good players. Okay, so you got three starters, and then you got a special teamer in uh, in in Lack Edwards, and you know Sharon Peak hasn't done much as a receiver, but he's the best gunner on the team. So and he's a seventh rounder. So you know that's what your seventh rounders tend to be. They either don't make the roster, or, you know they're not they're not big time players. They rarely are. Then you go to the next class, where you got Adams and, and long term starters. We know this. These guys are going to be around for the next ten years. Um, and now you look at a guy like Elijah McGuire, who flashed the other day. Derek Jones has looked good at, uh, at well, he did in the preseason. He did. I mean, there are enough guys. Jordan Leggett. Jordan Leggett's a guy I was going to talk about a little bit tonight. Like, I don't understand why he's not getting the ball a little bit more. Because he's only got a few catches. But, man, he has shown some sticky hands. He, he's, he's done a really nice job when the ball's come his way. And, and I would love to see him get more involved. So, beyond the realm of possibility or beyond, beyond re, you know, reality, that class number three could end up getting you Adams, May, a, a solid tight end in Leggett, a solid running back in McGuire, and maybe, a, you know, a, a rotational-type player in Derek Jones. You know, that gives you five guys that make your roster and contribute to play. Um, and now, as far as the – and then, of course, the Darnold thing. I think that alone, I think trading up, getting Darnold for a GM, that buys you one more year happen now if we go into next year and Adams and May keep doing what they're doing Leggett gets a bigger role McGuire gets a bigger role well then all of a sudden you've got two straight draft classes where you're getting three four starters and then this year's class of course with uh with Darnold we Herndon looks great Nathan Shepard isn't putting up big numbers but we're seeing him win a lot more one-on-one battles so the drafts have gotten better and you got Darnold so I think that buys McCagnan another year and in terms of the, the state of the roster right now, and this is my issue with Bowles, before him always want to say, oh, you're going to get mad that Todd Bowles didn't make the playoffs, his roster isn't good. No, I'm not mad that he didn't make the playoffs. I'm mad that he's not getting the most out of the talent he has. You know, now, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. we're going to talk a little bit about Jermaine Curse, but it looks like he uh, he may be mailing it in a little bit now. He may be an unhappy veteran who knows he's uh, he's on a team that's not going to win and he's on the last year of his deal. Because he looked atrocious the other yeah, day. Yeah, likes on, bro. I can just barely see, man. Yeah, yeah, it, it was yeah, bad. I, but but when you look at and and I mentioned this earlier, and someone didn't like it. Todd Bowles fired John Morton. Okay, with John Morton calling the plays, and I tweeted this: Robbie and Curse were on pace to combine for a couple thousand yards. You replaced Austin Safarian Jenkins, a seven-yard per catch tight end, with a much better player in Chris Herndon. And you know, you, you add Quincy and Nunwa to that mix, that that is a far superior group of playmakers than what the Jets had last year. And I understand the quarterback's different, but you shouldn't be scoring six points against the Dolphins. Their ass kicked the last two, three weeks. Robbie, Curse, Quincy, Herndon, all on the field, all healthy, you scored six points. I mean, you're going to tell me that's Mike McCagnon's fault, that Mike McCagnon doesn't, isn't putting out good enough players? Listen, look at the game the Jets did win this year, okay? Bad teams with no talent don't score 38 points. Don't score 35 points multiple times. That doesn't happen. The talent's there. They're just not producing consistently, and that's not on the GM. Oh, yeah, that's not. Well, Glenn, I totally agree. Um, and you know something has to be done, and I think it's just the the, the problem has got to be on the coaching staff. Yeah, that, well, listen, nope. I think it's going to change. And uh, you you mentioned who do you replace him with? Um, I mentioned this earlier in the year. I may have said it last week, but I think if you fire Todd, you, you go to Carl Durrell, uh, who's right now the wide receivers coach. But Carl Durrell coached for four or five years at UCLA. He's got big-time school coaching experience. He was a play caller for the Houston Texans as a coordinator. Um, he was a quarterback. So he's been in the NFL. He's been an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And he's been a, a big-time college program uh, head coach at UCLA. So to me, he's the obvious choice to take over for Todd Bowles if they lose to Nathan Peterman. But who knows? 
The Jets don't like to fire their guys in season. Historically, it's not something they do. Chris Johnson might be willing to stomach it and put up with, you know, miserable, rowdy fans at MetLife Stadium for the final few games of the season. Yeah, I um, it's, it was just a, a big total letdown. Um, like I said, I just don't want to harp on just you know, I, you know, you know. You mentioned McCagnan a lot or whatever, and I I, I like what McCagnan did, trading up to the the third round pick was amazing, and um, I think he's doing a pretty good job. I know he wants to go through the draft. There was nothing done in the trade deadline, and, I was, and I'm happy with that or whatever. You don't want to give away draft picks that you may need later on or whatever, but. You're, yeah, um, I mean, listen, they they worked the phones, but obviously the the price tag was a little too high, and it sounded like they were close on Fowler, but um, willing to take him without giving up an extra pick. And the Jets, I believe the Jets said they offered a third and a fifth, or at least a report from, I believe it was Manish Mehta. The Jets offered a third and a fifth, but they wanted a fourth and Fowler, whereas the Rams said, we'll give you a third and a fifth, and uh, we don't want any picks back. We just want Fowler. So the Jets are trying to protect themselves a little bit and keep some picks. So I can't fault them for that. And let's face it, it you know, pass rushers rarely hit free agency, but I think I think we might see Fowler become a free agent this off season, when where the Jets will make the run yeah. then and still have all. Totally, totally agree, man. Um, well, uh, I keep saying, just keep up the good work, man. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it, Rich. Uh, thanks for calling in. No problem, Glenn. Bye. All right, take care. All right, that was Rich talking again about the. Uh, Todd Bowles, the coaching staff, where they go from here. Uh, we got a few questions on Twitter. We'll get to those. Um, first one that came in. Oh, this may not be in order, but uh, let's see. Okay, so what came in was which offensive-minded coach should the Jets go after? That's uh, that's coming from Xavier Lewis two four nine on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm thinking DeFilippo, and this is off the top of my head. DeFilippo, who's in Minnesota now. Uh, David Shaw, I'm not sure he's going to want to come out of Stanford. Um, the the big the name you keep hearing now because he supposedly there's some some issues. Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a tough one because everything you heard about him coming out of San Francisco is that after a couple of years, everyone in the building hated the guy, and they, he was he was that abrasive. Um, now. If I'm not, if you're not working in the building with the guy, it's easy enough to say, "Who cares? Keep him around. He's a good coach." Um, but he's a guy who's proven he can get a lot out of young quarterbacks. He played the position, had plenty of success in the NFL as a head coach, and even if he wears out his welcome after four or five years, you know what? If within that four or five years he gets them to a Super Bowl or uh, to raise his game to the level where the next coach can get him to a Super Bowl, I can't say I wouldn't like that move. But again, that's that's to see how things go in Michigan. But I would I would think the front runners would be guys like DeFilippo, David Shaw. Uh, I like Jim Bob Cooter out of Detroit. I feel like he's done some good things with that offense. He uh, he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. So those are just a few names. But let's face it, there's a million out there. People are talking about a lot of the the high flying, running, gunning, air raiding college coaches. M- you know, maybe one of those works out. But I just I, I think of guys like Chip Kelly and Steve Spurrier guys who were supposed to come to the NFL and take it by storm and rewrite the record books and blah, 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 blah. And uh, outside of a few nice games as a, as a rookie head coach for Chip Kelly, those guys were colossal failures in the NFL. Those, the, you know, they brought their gimmick college offense into the pros, just, you know, a few weeks to a few months to figure them out. And then they, they had nothing else. They had no, they had no plan B other than to, to go back to college was their plan B. Next question is, uh, Next question comes in from JJ Styles on Twitter, and he's asking, "Whose decision is it to activate guys like Jones and Fatukasi on game day?" Now that that's down to the coaches. I'm sure they they speak with with the uh, with McCagnan on that. But also, is going to get the guys he wants on game day. I understand not activating Fatukasi because he's a late round guy, and I think they just view him as Steve McClendon's replacement next year. I think he's going to be on the roster. Uh, he had himself a nice training camp. The guy is strong as hell. Um, and I think I think they're looking at McClendon as a guy with one year left on his deal. And, you know, maybe we do. Maybe late in the season, you know, when things do – I mean, things are already slipping away. But, you know, two or three more losses in a row, which isn't – um, I mean, you, you cannot lose to Buffalo. 
So you lose two of your next three, three of your next four, get Fadukasi some reps. <clears throat> Jones, the reason why the Derek Jones thing is, in, thing is interesting, and it's not just because of Derek Jones, it's because when you look at the Jets roster, and I tweeted this out the other day, they, the Jets, Jaguars, and one other team, I forget who, it doesn't matter, um, are the only teams in the NFL who are carrying seven corners. A lot of cornerbacks to carry. Now, there were some other teams. You know, I went to NFL.com, pulled the numbers off of there. Going team by team, looking at their rosters. There are some teams with, like, you know, four cornerbacks and then, like, seven guys listed as defensive backs. Um, I'm not going to go watch film on teams for, for guys I'm not familiar with to see if they play corner or not. I just looked at guys who were listed at the cornerback position. Jags, and I'll try to remember who else. They had seven guys listed. Um, so the Jets are carrying a lot of Jermaine Johnson's been dinged up, but they want to work Perry Nickerson in, who, you know, much like Fadakasi is probably the replacement for McClendon, you'd have to think Nickerson is, is first in line to replace Buster Screen. But then you have Daryl Roberts, who's been playing really well. Rashard Robinson, who had himself a nice camp, and Todd Bowles raved about. Um, he hasn't seen the field. And I, I, I really wonder if they see him as a guy who will replace Morris Claiborne next year. You know, I wonder if they're just looking at some of these guys, they have them lined up, and they're, they're carrying them because they know other teams would poach them, and, but they view them as next year starters, and Derek Jones falls under that category. I would venture to guess next season, Richard Robinson and Derek Jones are going to be fighting it out for that number two spot. But at the same time, I agree. I agree with the tweet in saying, you know, why not give these guys a look now? And I, I think that'll happen. I think eventually, when you know, when things are officially out of reach, you know, when three and seven or whatever it's going to take, we'll see some of these young guys. But I'm I'm excited to see Jones in live action. Uh, he did some things in camp that were just unbelievable. You, you, the athleticism, the body control, the speed, all that stuff jumps out at you. Um, the quickness isn't what you'd like it to be, but for a six foot two corner, that's just not going to be there anyway. But as I mentioned uh, during camp, he, he, I mean, a lot of people mentioned he did a great job. So that's, uh, that's where they're at with those guys with the, with the bottom of the roster, late round picks. Um, Pleasureman, uh, at Pleasureman tweeted, here's a scenario. You're the GM team is awful and you built it. What's the next step? Listen, it's like any other job you have in life. No matter what you do for a living, if uh, things aren't working for you, you just you just you keep chipping away. You know, you you look at your your deficiencies, and I think that's what this team has done. I think that to go, I think this team has more talent than people realize. I don't think the current coaching staff gets the most out of that talent. You know, if I'm if I'm Mike McCagnan, I'm looking at this roster and I'm. I'm feeling like if I can get uh, an offensive-minded guy in here, an established offensive guy, then this could be a quick turnaround. You know, and I see people say, oh, there's so many free agents. We, we, we're not going to, you know, all of our receivers are free agents. What are we going to do? Well, you're going to sign them. Robbie Anderson's restricted. Quincy Noon was unrestricted, but you know what? This could be a situation where some of Quincy, Quincy Noon was, you know, nicks and scrapes and dings and injuries could play to the Jets' advantage because you're probably going to have a hard time if you're Quincy Noonwell finding a team to give you a long-term deal for big money. So you might have to settle for a year or two, and the Jets should absolutely be working to, to get him locked up. But, yeah, that's the answer. Listen, if I'm a GM and I'm running a team, and like I said, it's this team, their record is awful. They were awful on Sunday. <clears throat> but uh, in Mike McCagnan's situation, I'm going to go to ownership and say, um, do you guys mind if I pick my coach now? Because this is the coach you gave me, and we've seen the results. And, it's you know, as I've said before, with these receivers, it's not as if this isn't hypothetical stuff. This isn't, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, <clears throat> not saying that this guy and this guy, and uh, they've never done anything in the NFL, but I bet they would if they had a different coach. That's just, that's just, you know, that's wishful thinking. There's nothing to back that up. There's nothing to substantiate that. But when I can point to the production these guys have had, 
and saying, look what Robbie's done. Look what Quincy's done. Look what Curse has done. Look what, yes, it's, it's a short span, but look what Herndon is doing. These guys can play. These guys can make, you know, Anderson, I, I don't get, I don't, I still see people knocking Robbie Anderson. One trick pony. I don't know how many times I have to say it, but if your one trick is running faster than everyone on the field and scoring 40, 50 yard touchdowns, I can live with that. I'm okay with that. You think, you think when, uh, look at a guy like Deshaun Jackson a few years ago, who was a one trick pony, had that insane year, 1,500 yards on 1,600 yards, something like that, double digit touchdowns. Coaching staff was pacing up and down the sideline, shaking their heads, going, man. Sure, wish that guy ran a better hook. I wish his I wish his comeback was sharper. No, the objective is to score the most points. The one guy on your damn team who is capable of scoring points at any moment, and fans want to cut him because he doesn't run a good slant. How do you? How can you be serious about this? This team for an eternity <clears throat> has lacked a big playmaker. I see people say he doesn't have a playmaker. All he does is get open down the field, and the damn quarterback can't hit him. And I don't just mean Darnold this year. I mean Fitz in his rookie year, where he would have had a huge season. Now, last year it wasn't an issue because McCown hit him, and we saw what happened. Josh McCown stays healthy those last few weeks. Robbie Anderson probably puts up, you know, 1,200, 1,300 yards. And now this year, all he keeps doing is getting open down the field, and people, oh, he, he fumbles too much. Yeah, because he had those two fumbles that one time believe how many people get hung up on one, two, you know, time occurrences. How many how many people ran their mouths about how Chris Herndon was no good because that time he had the drop against Miami. In week, week two, second game of his life, he dropped the pass. And everybody, oh, this guy's another bust. How's Darnold ever going to trust him? He dropped the pass. I mean, Jesus, people. Get a grip. They have some guys on this team who can make plays. It's not all about you know, everyone everyone wants to treat Sam Donald with kid gloves, and I get it. It's exciting. We're expecting him to be a franchise guy. That doesn't mean you can't watch a game and say, boy, he wasn't good today. Because that's happened a few times this year now. Where he's had guys in, in position to make big plays, and he misses them. Even this week, haven't seen the All-22 yet. Haven't seen it. But I will say, and it's it's not just this game. There have been plenty of games where there are guys down the field, open up, they're, they're wide open, or they're open enough, and Sam Donald checks it down. Fine, he's a kid. He's going to grow and learn. And that that's the one part. That's the one thing. Even though we can find some some dumb mistakes from Jeremy Bates, there's no denying that. That's why I'm I'm not completely bailing on Bates because I look at some of these plays and I think, oh wow, if Donald would have hit that dude down the field, that's six. Instead, he dumped it off, got five yards on third and eight, and now they're punting, and everyone's screaming that Jeremy Bates sucks. I mean, you know, you can only dial up the plays. And, and again, I'm not saying there haven't been. Follow Brian Baldinger. Brian Baldinger on Twitter is a fantastic follow, and he broke it down earlier. <clears throat> and he was highly critical of Jeremy Bates. Having Sam Darnold go with an empty backfield, five wide, D lineman pinning their ears back, all five receivers run, run you know, button hooks, which, you know, sadly reminiscent of uh, that was one of his staples. Let's run five six-yard button hooks on third and nine and then wonder why we're terrible. So, yeah, check out Brian Baldinger. See what he had to say about the way they ran the offense. So I'm not sitting here defending Jeremy Bates and saying he's, you know, he's doing a good job. I'm saying he's doing a better job than the numbers reflect, but the numbers look as bad as they do because Sam Darnold isn't playing well. And, you know, oh, say he, he doesn't have any time to throw. Listen, you know, because of recency, and because people have, you know, been wanting this all year for this offensive line to fall apart, people are pretending that th- this week's game against the Dolphins is the norm. It's not. It was their worst game of the year. They're going to have them. 
even as someone who said the pass blocking is going to be fine, I also said several times there will be games where they're bad, really bad. I expected that to be the Denver game. Surprisingly enough, it wasn't. They were fantastic. But Miami gave them a tough time up front last in the first meeting, and Miami gave them a tough time up front again this, this week. But there have been plenty of games where Sam Darnold has a lot of reps, where he's got a lot of time, and he doesn't, he doesn't hit a target, or he, or he takes a sack, or he throws it out of bounds. Yes, he's a young kid. He's learning. I'm not ripping him. I'm not trashing him. Don't tweet at me that I hate Sam Darnold, that I'm calling him a bust, and blah, 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 because that's, that's not the case. I'm saying he's a rookie quarterback who is playing like a rookie quarterback. It's not the end of the world. But if we're going to evaluate Jeremy Bates, you have to say it. Uh, I will just say this. Bates has been better than the numbers reflect. Okay? All you can do is call the plays. When guys are open down the field, waving their arms for the ball, or just open down the field, and you're not pulling the trigger, <clears throat> well, then guess what? I'm, I'm not going to kill the OC for that. Not going to get on the coordinator because the, you know, the rookie quarterback is a little bit gun-shy. Numbers are not great. When the protection breaks down, they're also not very good when the protection is good. Looked at PFF earlier today. They have, you know, they, they have, that's what's great about PFF. They have an array of stats. One of their stats is performance with a clean pocket, as in no pressure, time to throw. Take a look at the defense. With a clean pocket, Sam Darnold has more interceptions than any quarterback in the NFL with eight. Sam Darnold, by snap count, quarterbacks with 200 snaps or more. Sam Darnold is 27th of 27 in completion percentage. With a clean pocket, he's throwing more interceptions than any quarterback with a clean pocket. So let's not sit here and say that he's only failing because he never has time to throw. Because even when he has time to throw, he hasn't been that good. These are just facts. This is not me predicting doom and gloom or Donald. This is just me saying this is what's happening right now. Add a little bit of uh, reality to the to the delusion and the the hysteria when it comes to people discussing how this guy is playing right now. But you know the kid's all class. He took the blame. He said it's all on him. That he's got to play better, and he's right. He does, but it's not all on him, folks. We all know that. Not a good soldier by saying that, but Jesus. Can we please put Jonathan Harrison in there? I mean, my goodness, you know, uh, I think that was actually another question that popped up a minute ago. Yeah, should Harrison or Dozier be playing? Absolutely. Until, you know, until Spencer Long is, is ready to go, until that hand is all healed up. I think it should, uh, you know, every, some of you know I'm a big Dozier fan, but I, it's a weird thing, but I don't think he gets the nod. I've said it before on the show. I think him being a lefty, um, you just don't see it. You don't see lefty catchers in baseball. You don't see lefty centers in football. They've had him work there. He was listed as a backup center a couple years ago. I think he snapped one ball against the Patriots when Nick Mangold hurt his ankle. But the Jets just have not liked Dozier in that spot. They've worked him there. I'd like to see him get some work there. But whether it's Harrison or Dozier, it's got to be anyone but Spencer Long until Spencer Long is ready. craziness. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, he's still not back. He says that if he could be back, he would. If it were up to him, the training staff feels otherwise. They don't feel like he's ready. And somebody asked, uh, that last question, by the way, was from uh, Alex Vareo, uh, Rufio187 on Twitter. He's one of our regulars. Thank you for uh, shooting that. And then uh, Jason Kwanza at Jayquaz, J-A-Y-K-W-A-Z. Jay Quaz asks, is there any way out of Tremaine Johnson's contract this offseason? I'm going to say no on that. I looked at it a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to – I'll reference it right now. I'm going to look up the numbers on overthecap.com. Fantastic site. Um, really the best in the business at what they do, breaking down contracts. 
if uh, if you want to take a look at overthecap.com. If you, if you have any questions on player salaries, that's where you go. But Tremaine Johnson, if the Jets were to cut – pardon me. <clears throat> if the Jets were to cut Tremaine Johnson after this season, they would take on $24 million in dead money. So that is not happening. Tremaine Johnson is here this year and next year. This according to overthecap.com. And even if you go to 2020, if you cut him in two years, you're looking at $12 million in dead money uh, against the cap. And uh, even by 2021, $8 million in dead money, which uh, depending on your – like if that were this year, and if he was playing terrible, that might be something you could live with. But the thing with him right now, um, and yes, there is definitely an element of wishful thinking in what I'm about to say, but uh, it, it's way too early to write him off. You know, when you look at uh, when you look at how he's played, he has been bad. He has looked slow. There's no denying that. But he's left multiple games with you know concussion or you know uh, just I and I, I should have pulled it up earlier. But I, I feel like he's played four what four games I think, and he left a couple of them early. And then he you know now he's out with another injury. So hopefully, hopefully. I mean, even if he's not his old self, he's got to just be at least good. And he wasn't good um, his first few games when he did play. But if Tremaine Johnson can get his act together, you know, the Jets' defense will be in, in, in pretty good shape. I mean, they're doing, they're doing well right now. This defense is playing pretty damn good football. <clears throat> that brings us to our uh, – I'm going to go over our studs and duds. <clears throat> and really – um, all the studs, pretty much, it's going to be on defense. Let's be honest. Uh, the offense was pretty much a disaster, and it's it's tough to do these without seeing the all twenty-two as well. But um, for those of you who tuned in, you may have noticed that uh, Leonard Williams was was uh, camped out in Miami's offensive backfield. Leonard Williams was just steamrolling people. He had himself a fantastic game. Didn't show up in the stat sheet. Didn't have. But uh, he did have himself four hurries. He had a quarterback hit. Uh, he had a few tackles, a couple stops. So monster, monster game for Leonard Williams. The guy, the, the guy who did get to the quarterback, though, who I wanted to mention, Jordan Jenkins. He had two sacks, and I want to say he had a hit, too, or at least a hurry. There was a play early in the game that was developing. I thought, oh, Jenkins is going to get himself a sack right here. Came up just short. I think that was a hurry. Um, Osweiler got the ball off but then after that Jenkins went on to get a couple sacks so he almost had himself a three sack day <clears throat> you don't see a lot of those and that was good to see because Jenkins was off to a nice start this season getting the quarterback but he's had a bit of a drought recently so coming up with a couple sacks was a that was a good sign it was a good thing to see but the uh, the top guy for me on defense this week was Jamal Adams um, Jamal Adams, just doing Jamal Adams things. Pressuring the quarterback. We saw him hitting guys in the backfield, tackles for loss. We saw him deflecting passes to force incomplete passes. We saw him uh, working the sidelines and deep coverage. He, he did everything. He covered, he blitzed, he stuffed the run, he broke passes up. He was all over the field, um, you know, jack of all trades. And the guy's just, he's, he's, just got, he's become so much fun to watch, really. Um, and he needed this too because he, you know, the team's losing, fans are frustrated. If he was playing terrible right now after an entire offseason, how great he was going to be and how great the team was going to be, and you know, things were going to change and new culture and all that. If he was thinking up the joint right now with this team losing football games, he would probably be public enemy number one. <clears throat> but as it stands, he's playing great, and the fans were, you know, he was fired up after the game. He said, I don't like this, man. I'm not a loser. I don't like this losing. And uh, that's the attitude you got to have. You got to have somebody, young guys, who want to turn this thing around. <clears throat> and Jamal, you, uh, you really can't say enough good things about the way he's played. He's been a completely different player this year. I still don't think, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't seen him give up any touchdowns in coverage this year. And last year he was credited with six. So he's been a much, much better player. So tip of the cap to him. And just to mention a couple other couple of other guys on defense who I thought stood out, um, Nathan Shepard seemed to jump off the the, the screen a couple times. Um, looking forward to the All 22 for that reason. I thought Shepard had himself a nice game. 
Um, Buster Screen sighting. We've talked about it before. He's a uh, he's better than people say, but he's still too inconsistent to be a guy that you would rely on. Uh, I, I he's gone after this year, uh, but every now and then he'll have a game like he did against Miami, and he played pretty damn good. He had himself a nice game. If you go back and watch that game, watch Buster Screen. I thought he looked pretty impressive. Uh, but again, the, the, for, for Buster Screen, those games just seem to be a bit too few and far between where he plays that well. Uh, Offense. What a what a absolute disaster. I mean, six points. When when you gotta when you gotta think long and hard to think about like three or four guys who played well, that's a bad sign. It really is. Uh, it, I mean that it, that was an ugly game, one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. Six points on offense. All right. Let's 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 look at the, the total numbers here real quick. Sam Donald, twenty-one out of thirty-nine. No touchdowns, four picks, sacked four times. Crowell, 49 yards on 13 carries. McGuire, 23, car- 23 yards on six carries. Just a whole lot of ugliness. But I, I, I do want to include McGuire in the stud section, even though he didn't do a ton because his lips, his, his lips, his limited reps kept his production down. But for a guy who didn't have a whole lot of room to work with, in the run game, he was just under four, a carry at 3.8. He had himself three catches for 37. This is his first game back from injury. And I uh, posted an article a little while. And if you listen to the show, you, you know, I said it after the draft last year. Once the draft was up, and I, wa- I can't remember, whether it was either after the draft or after watching him live in training camp. He said, this guy, to me, is a, a another, he's a younger version of Bilal Powell. That was what I thought of him, and I think he showed that this week because we saw him do a great job blocking. We saw him catch the ball. We saw him catch the ball split out wide. He had a 20-yard catch lined up at wide receiver. And we saw him find his way through some not-so-very-big creases on the O-line up front. So he's uh, he's one of my top guys for the week, Elijah McGuire. Chris Herndon's another one. I want to say he had four grabs for 64 yards. No idea why he's not targeted more. When you see the two yards. When you see the way he and Sam Donald are building a, a nice rapport, I would uh, I would make that a priority. Get Chris Herndon the ball more. Uh, unfortunately, Robbie Anderson, jeez, uh, what a Robbie Anderson! What was his final line on the day? Four catches for 32. Four for 32. That's terrible. Jermaine Curse three for 20. And this is this is. I, I don't mean to venture off because I'm we're talking about positive performances right now. But I said it earlier. I said we would get it. We'll get into it now. What the hell was Jermaine Curse doing out there on Sunday? I mean, this is a guy who is viewed by, you know, many fans and, you know, coaching. He just seems to be one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most respected guys in that locker room. And he just, what he did this Sunday, running out of bounds, on a, a play where he didn't have to go out, he had a he had a catch over the middle where he just seemed like he didn't know what to do. It was you know clock was running down. I get that. He caught the ball over the middle, looked at the defenders, kind of gave a little wiggle, and just threw himself on the ground. I, I imagine he wanted the clock to stop. He thought, if I'm a defender and I'm trying to run out the clock, I would have told my teammates, don't go near him. Let's see how much time the refs will let run off the clock before they blow a whistle because this is a live ball. And this dude just threw himself on the ground. He had at least one drop. He was the intended target on one interception where he seemed to give up on the route. At least, you know, at some point you become the DB. He didn't do that. So, not a great, uh, I mean, his worst game is a jet by far. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he's just been such a solid pro since getting here. Maybe, look, everyone, every guy, every player, every team, no matter how good or bad you are, every guy's going to have a week where you watch him and go, well, Jesus, that wasn't, that wasn't normally, not what he normally does. Because that was easily Jermaine Curse's worst game as a Jet. And so, I'm, you know, we'll leave it at that. 
you hope you hope he's not a veteran guy who sees the writing on the wall and is now just making business decisions. And and I don't think he is. I think he's better than that. <laughs> That's certainly what it looked like the other day. So we'll see how Jermaine Curse plays this Sunday. And now if, if the Jets do think they do think these are business decisions, if they do think that he's mailing it in from here on in, he's got a handful of games left with your team this year on his contract. Just just cut him and get uh, Deontay Burnett in there a little bit. Let somebody else have his reps. You're not winning anything. And if he's not going to be a part of the solution, then, then just let him go. Tell him to take off. Thanks for your year and a half. But my hope is that he bounces back next week and plays more like the guy he's been since getting here as opposed to the guy he was last week because that was truly embarrassing to watch. Terrible game for him. <clears throat> the O-line, as I said, was just bad. So bad. Uh, Brandon Shell, I, you know, I said before the game, I did my uh, the key matchups. Cameron Wake just has his number. There's there's no two ways about it. And there's, listen, there's no shame in, in knowing that a Hall of Fame player beats you, you know, gives you a hard time. I remember all those battles you used to see with the, the old the old Giants and Eagles teams where Michael Strahan would just Runyon. It's like John Runyon was a good player. He just didn't match up well with a Hall of Famer who was one of the best best pass rushers of all time. And that's kind of the spot Brandon Shell is in right now where he's become a good player, but he's gonna have to get better if he wants to uh put put forth some better games against a guy like that against a guy like Cameron Wake. Uh, last player on offense I wanted to point out, Quincy Inunua didn't have a huge game production-wise, numbers-wise. Uh, I mean, let's face it, nobody did. They scored six points, right? Nobody uh, nobody put up huge numbers. As a matter of fact, Inunua finished the day with uh, four targets, three catches. I'll tell you what, one of them was a 20 where he looked to drag three or four Dolphins defenders for seven or eight yards. That guy is just a badass. You know, any Jets fan, any fan in their right mind wants that guy back next year, injuries and all. Because when he's on, man, he's just he, – he's a guy that gets everybody fired up. The fans, I can't, I can't imagine teammates don't get fired up when they see him do the things he does. So really hoping that uh, Quincy Noon was here for the long term. And that's uh, that's about it in terms of the, the, the quality performances on offense. I haven't – Again, tough to say with the O-line without the All-22. I looked at uh, some of the grades on PFF earlier. They had James Carpenter off the charts um, in pass protection. I think they had him at uh, somewhere around 90, 87, 88, 89, something like that. So that that's his best pass blocking effort in a couple of years, according to PFF, which is surprising after he had one of his worst earlier in the year against the Dolphins. <clears throat> so looking forward to seeing that. But uh, – Kelvin Beecham was solid, not as good as he had been. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But as we said, Brandon Shell was a disaster. Spencer Long, Todd Bowles, just sit the guy. It's not that difficult. I don't understand it. I don't I don't get the obsession with the, the stubbornness. Leaving the guy in to keep doing what he was doing and then say after the game that it was fine, no problem. Those are the kind of things you get head coaches fired, man. And I think that that is, uh, if if the beginning of the end of the Todd Bowles era wasn't here already, um, it arrived on Sunday. And there's no way, no way in the world Jets ownership could look at that and be comfortable with what they saw. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's on his way out. So who's coming up next? The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, I'll tell you what. I saw a stat the other day that absolutely blew my mind because listen, as Jets fans, we know as well as anybody how painful it can be, how absolutely painful it can be to, to have an offense that just cannot put up points. You know, we've lived through the, the Glenn Foley's and the Brooks Bollinger's of the world. And uh, yeah, good. Listen to this. This guy's type of record for Hillary. And I can't believe I'm looking at it. Wow. Okay. So the Buffalo Bills. Now they've 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 used a few different quarterbacks this year because of injuries, because of ineffectiveness. On the season, the Buffalo Bills have, from all all three of their quarterbacks, 
through nine games, they have three touchdown passes to 16 interceptions. That's not what they did this Sunday. Well, obviously, we'll have the interceptions. Three, three, one, two, three touchdown passes this season to 16 interceptions. They're at 3.7 yards a carry on the ground. Here, here, here are the Bills' point totals this year, okay? 3, 20, 27, 0, 13, 13, 5, 6, 9. They're averaging less than seven points a game over their last three games. <laughs> this has to be a shutout. I'm sorry. You got to shut this team out. Forty-one to nine. How does that team have two wins? And they beat the Vikings. That's why the NFL is so damn crazy. This team—that's—they've scored more than twenty points one time this year, and that was—that was one of their two wins. They beat the Vikings. Lost the next one 22 nothing, won the next one 13 12, then they lost 20 to 13. Because let, let's add this up real quick 60, 70, 90, 91, 96, 100, 104 off the top of my head to 20 their last three games. 103. 103. They've been outscored 103 to 20 in their last three contests. The Jets scored six points this week against the Dolphins, and they are a seven-point favorite against the Bills. That's how bad the Bills are. That's why if you find a way to lose to the Bills, you got to say goodbye to Todd Bowles. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you should, but my gut tells me the Jets won't, and they'll just stick with Bowles for the rest of the year. I say send them packing. And, and let Carl Durrell run the show for the final few weeks of the season. And they're a head coach when the season ends. On offense, I mean, is there really anybody worth talking about on that Bills team? Shady McCoy, okay, fair enough, good player. Chris Ivory is a nice little back, you know. Um, other than that, uh, no. No, they got Vladimir Dukas as one of their starting guards. Deion Dawkins at tackle. I actually liked him coming out of college. Not sure how he's played this year. Charles Clay always seems to be injured or nicked up or something. Not a bad player, Charles Clay. He's not going to be the guy that gets you over the hump. Three touchdown passes. That's just, I, I, can't ima- I, I, I can't imagine the Jets have ever been that bad in my lifetime. I could be wrong, but I, uh, I certainly don't remember. But here's the thing, folks. Here is why this game against the Buffalo Bills, who cannot score a touchdown, this is why this game is no lock. And it's because Sam Darnold has been struggling. The offensive line has been struggling. And they have some guys who can get to the quarterback. Lorenzo Alexander, Jerry Hughes, both very good players. They've combined for nine sacks. They might get themselves a few more this week. Matt Milano is doing a really nice job for them. I think he's a Boston College guy. I think I had him go to the Jets in one of my mocks, as a matter of fact. And he's having himself a really nice season. And this Bills defense, man, I'll tell you what, if they, if this defense, if this Bills team had Tyrod Taylor playing the way he did last year, they'd, they'd be going to the playoffs. They would. But for whatever reason, Tyrod wasn't good enough for them. They went with, uh, well, I mean, we know why. They, they, I guess they felt Tyrod would never get in the promised land and, Let's go to Josh Allen. Um, but if they had Tyrod Taylor this year, this team would be playoff caliber. But they don't. Teron Johnson, the corner, he does a nice job out there. They just all around. On defense, they have a lot of – let's see, Lorenzo Alexander has four sacks. Logging on a PFF real quick, see what they're saying. 21 quarterback hits. Sorry, hurries. Um, and then you got Kyle Williams in the middle of that line. 
Brian Winter struggled this week. And Kyle Williams leads the Bills with six sacks. They got some guys who can get to the quarterback, folks. And we saw last week that uh, the Jets could be, they could be beaten on the O-line. So we're going to have to wait and see how this thing unfolds. But as bad as the Jets were against the Dolphins, there's no way in the world I could predict, I could project the Jets' loss to this Bills team. But I think it's going to be, we're going to see, we're going to see a similar type score. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say, let, let's go with, I'm going to say the Jets win this game 16-6. Can't wait to see what the under is on this thing. Because it's just ugly, ugly football from both teams. And as I said, if the Jets don't come away with a win, and Nathan Peterman finds a way to get his first NFL win, then it is time to say goodbye to Todd Bowles, who appears to have made a big mistake by firing John Morton, who made plenty of mistakes the other day by not benching Spencer Long, which, as I said earlier, is kind of a thing for him. Didn't bench Brian Winters last year. How long did it take him to bench Mo Will? not trying just seems that once Todd Bowles anoints you the starter then that is it if you are upright and mobile then you are playing doesn't matter what the effort level is doesn't matter what the results are you play and that's and that's the end of the story and uh Spencer Long is playing this week and it gets Donald hurt or if they lose this game then it's time for Chris Johnson to pull the plug on Todd Bowles' time with the Jets to move on and start their search for a new head coach, be it, as I said, be it Jim Harbaugh or David Shaw or Jim Bob Cooter, whoever it may be, it's got to be someone other than Todd Bowles. But thank you all so much for tuning in, Jet Nation Radio. You all have a great night. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.